Gratitude. It's the lighthouse. Everything is dark, except for what you hold true in your heart. You can say goodbye and thank you. I miss you and I'm grateful. You can watch a flower die, yet still see the garden through dry eyes. Hi, I'm your host, Natasha T. Miller, and this is The Science of Grief. Today, we're talking about dementia. Later on, I'll talk with Bonnie Wheeler about the effects dementia can have on families and how family members can support their loved ones who suffer from the disease. But first, our producer, Kaylin Higgins, talks with Savannah Rayan, who shares the story of losing her grandmother who suffered from dementia. So I am the youngest um, grand, granddaughter out of um, the 40 grandkids. And so usually, traditionally, in my culture, um, boys are favored. Um, but my grandma and I had a special relationship regardless. Like, I, had two older, I have two older brothers. Um, but my grandma and I were very close. Um, so, and she, yeah, I didn't meet my grandpa. He died before I was born, a couple months before I was born. And, uh, and she had lost her son when I was five years old. My father had a twin brother and he passed away when they were three. So my grandma went through a lot of hardships in her life and obviously losing a kid, um, was, is never easy. I can't even imagine it. Um, so, you know, I don't remember my grandma before cause I was five years old. So I don't remember her before my uncle passed away. Um, but after I, I know, um, it's tradition in my culture for like women to wear black and, you know, you, like, you're not necessarily supposed to like wear makeup or dye your hair when someone like that passes away, you know, um, like your son or and when you're when you're much older, because my grandma was about 80. Um, so uh, my childhood, it was filled with her still grieving and um, kind of, you know, she just she was just living to kind of live. There was no real purpose um, for, for her in her own, cause she had lost her son. But, um, and so she, she had a couple of, um, diseases. She had diabetes and she had some heart issues. So she wasn't able to fully take care of herself when I was, when I was a child. So, you know, we always took care of her, watched her diabetes. And, um, that's kind of how we became close. My dad, I would go to her house twice a day, especially in the summer. I would go three times a day sometimes or her apartment and um, we just, we, it genuinely is just like spending time together. And we, our relationship grew and I always loved braiding and she had the most beautiful hair. So I would always braid her hair and I would sit right behind her and I would do her hair. And, you know, she kind of like known me as a person doing her hair. And yeah, that was when I was younger before I could like a- actually help, you know, before I could actually do like things for her because when I was, you know, when I was still like a preteen, she didn't, if I was to go to her house and it was just me and her, she didn't like it for me to cut apples or anything. Cause she thought like I was going to hurt myself, but I was like 12, so I could do it. But she just, you know, she was worried about me and she was like 80. So I was worried about her doing it. And, and so it was like, but obviously she won because she's my grandma and she wouldn't even let me plug things in to the outlets because, you know, she because she was born in Jordan. So a lot of those things aren't, you know, really um, reliable. So she was always, she was just always worried and just, um, so, so a lot of my childhood, she, she was sick and she was getting sicker and she was diagnosed with dementia, I would say in about like 2010. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so when that kind of happened, it happened really slowly. And then some points would happen quickly. And it was just really weird because you look at her day by day and it's like, okay, nothing has changed. But then you see her like uh, compared like two two years um, apart and she's completely different. So a lot of my life was spent kind of, you know, not a normal granddaughter and grandma relationship, which I don't, I am not, uh, I don't regret at all. Like she, I, I'm so thankful for my relationship that I had with her, even if it didn't look like how like a lot of people have their relationships with their grandma. Um, and, you know, we, from spending time with her and she took care of me, I took care of her and we did that in different ways for each other. I was her person, like, and she was my person. So when did you come to realize that it was something that wasn't normal? Since you said, you know, you kind of grew up with it, you, you know, you thought it was normal. Oh, honestly, up until, like, sometime in high school, when I started seeing other grandparents interact with their, like, my friends' grandparents with them, and just seeing that, oh, like, my grandma's taking me out this Saturday, or... Um, my grandma bought me this or whatever it is. And I'm like, wait, your grandma can do that? Like, what What are you saying? <laughs> um, I was just, I was always just like, my grandma makes me laugh. My grandma gives me candy. I do my grandma's hair. Like, th- that, that, those were my stories about my grandma and I. So, um, but it was never like something I was always focused on. And then I realized, I was like, wait, this is not how it's supposed to be. This disease is taking over. Mm-hmm. Did it come to a point where um, somebody told you, someone told you that your grandmother had dementia, or was it like kind of putting pieces together? Or was it a little bit of both? Yeah, it was, it was putting pieces together for sure. Because, yeah, I can't remember a clear, defined moment when my family and I reacted to the news of her dementia or anything, but it was little by little you know, and her being less physically able. She was also overweight, so um, it was hard to, for her to get around. But then with the dementia, it was even more difficult. So um, it was little by little, her losing abilities and her losing herself sometimes because mm-hmm. she just wasn't herself at times because of the of the dementia. So, um, so I think it was kind of like piece by piece. Um, mm-hmm. And I know, like, she would always wear black to honor my uncle. Um, and then when she stopped wearing black because we just stopped putting her in black, which would only happen if she forgot. She would never have let that happen um, otherwise because she was still grieving. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I remember that day was, like, a really big step because that had meant she was slowly forgetting you know, like when she didn't know who I was and when she couldn't even say my name, it was it was really hard to see her like that because she she was the person that I would come to even though she only spoke Arabic and she know like three words in English um, yeah. and I barely know Arabic. It, we still somehow had like this strong relationship that it's so weird to even explain because people are like, how, like, that doesn't make any sense. Um but, you know, she just, she was just my person. Like, I would just sit with her. I would literally just sit with her and watch her eat sometimes. It was like the most simple relationship, but so much to it as well. 
I'm glad you had that relationship with your grandmother, especially your family is pretty huge. You know, you said she has 40 grandkids and around 20 great grandkids. So can you tell me a little bit more of how your uh, grandmother passed? Yeah. So like I said, she was diagnosed with dementia in like about 2010, I would say. That's when like she started hallucinating and um, it, it was the first signs of dementia happening and um and things things were okay for like in terms of like her being physically able and her knowing who I was I would have to like remind her sometimes but for the most part she was pretty she was okay and uh but some sentences didn't make sense or she was getting confused so in 2014 she moved in with my family and then in 2017 she moved in with my um aunt's family and in 2017, she had, like, a very minor heart attack. And at that point, they thought she was going to pass. Like, they, they, everyone, you know, we were planning on putting her in a hospice. Like, we thought she was going to pass. Um, then she, she, after that, she changed a lot compared to how she was even two months prior. She um, was eating less. She was less physically able. She had lost a lot of weight at that point, and the heart attack really changed her and made her um, um, go for the worse. But it, a- after that minor heart attack, so that was February 2017, and she she lived all the way till October 2020. And um, she kind of she would have her days, but I would visit her once a week at my aunt's, and. Um, she every t- it was a blessing for her to even say my name and my grandma would say my name because there's no v in the arabic language so she would say my name like sabana sabana and um yeah so i i i would try so hard to get her to say my name like that because i loved hearing her say it um because and she she never really knew who i was um although this one time she was carrying a baby like a fake baby a baby doll, and she called the baby me when I wasn't even there. So that made me really excited because, like, that means, like, I was, Aww. yeah, I was, like, on her mind or something. It made me really excited. But, yeah, and so she just kind of continued to get worse, continued to eat, like, eating less, but also just, like, very low energy. Half the time she was sleeping, couldn't have conversations. My grandma taught me a lot of Arabic songs, so um, so she wasn't able to do that. And my grandma was feisty, so she stopped being feisty, kind of just completely low energy, not physically able. Everything changed with my grandma in February 2017. But, you know, she was still alive, still going strong. And, um, you know, my aunt took really good care of her. So because my aunt's a nurse and her daughter's a nurse, a nurse practitioner. So they took, obviously, amazing care of my grandma. And, uh, and I, I really don't think my grandma would have survived like as long as she did without them taking great care of her because they knew what to do and they, you know, um, they're nurses, so they know. Um, and and then I would say the end of September my, of 2020, it was just her time. She stopped eating, not even like the soft things she was eating. She she wasn't even drinking. We'd have to like um, put um, like a cotton filled with water and just squeeze water in her mouth because she wasn't consuming anything. And even if she was eating, she wasn't getting nutrients from what she was eating. So, um, oh. yeah, so so it was really uh, hard to see her like that. And uh, and then three weeks later, and the doctors knew it, that she was going to pass away. And three weeks later, um, she, she passed away. And um, 
it was really hard seeing her like that. So I knew even, um, I knew that I was going to be relieved because I knew she was just like hanging on for us. And it was so weird to even think of my grandma as like not being here because she was like a constant in my entire life. So it was really weird because I just, I was in shock for some reason, just because it wasn't, even though like I had time to process, I was still like, because my grandma was so like feisty and strong. She had like so many near-death experiences that like I just always thought like somehow she was going to be okay, you know? Like, I don't know why. I just, I always thought somehow she was going to be okay. Even though my grandma was, like, 95, she literally wasn't eating. Like, you know, it was like, like, she was going to pass away. Like, we knew it. I don't know why I was still in shock. I think, you know, it was just kind of denial. But, um, but yeah, and I just, just, you know, I cried to my dad. And uh, we talked to my uncle. And, you know, my my dad and his brothers are so used to this. So it's it's not, like, my grandma's death wasn't, like, you know, they had their their brother pass away that was, you know, like far more tragic because he was so young. And But with my grandma, it was everyone had processed it because my grandma hasn't been herself for so long. So, but for me, it was just weird because, like I said, like I haven't had anyone pass away before that was close to me. So, like really, really close to me. But my grandma was really my everything. So after your grandmother passed, as far as grief-wise, did it hit you right after or did it... um like take time it was really weird because when people tell you that like grieving is the strangest and it comes in the biggest waves it's the weirdest feeling and it's it's so true because um because when my grandma passed it was just super random times where I'm like just bawling my eyes out and like kind of every night for that month it was really hard to even sleep I would think about her a lot at night when I was going to bed um, and I would watch videos and kind of basically cry myself to sleep just because it was really weird to just, like, keep thinking about how she's literally not here anymore. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, like, even today, I literally dinner an hour ago with my parents, we were talking about something else. And then I I thought about how my grandma says Savannah, not Savannah, or not Sav- my My family says Savannah, um, but, um, but my grandma would say Savannah or, Sav- or Savannah. And um, and I was thinking about that, and I just started crying. Just now, like an hour ago, I just I was eating my salad, and I just started crying. And my mom just my mom started crying just because she knows I was really close with her. Things have definitely gotten better, you know. I don't cry myself to sleep every night, but um, but it was hard. And and actually, another elderly lady, my old my former neighbor, who was elderly, she passed away in January. And she was, like, my third grandma to me. So it was hard. And also, my other grandma has dementia. So just thinking about how, like, I don't want to go through what I went through with this grandma. And I know that's just going to be terrible for me um, if I have to see her her like that. And I'm Mm -hmm. expecting that. So that's just another thing, you know, I think about. And I think about my grandma, and it makes it harder, too. Do you feel yourself, um, when you have these thoughts, do you feel yourself getting anxious? Oh, yeah. Especially, you know, it's with my with my one grandma who passed away, it's like things have gotten a lot better where I'm like, okay, it's okay. Like, you know, I do miss her, but I know it's, I know, I know it's natural. I know it's a part of life. I know she lived a good life. And I know, you know, she left me so much, you know, in terms of just like love and kindness and teachings. Um, but when I think of my other grandma and how I'm 
you know, I'm going to go through it with her and how it's going to going to be really hard to see her get worse and worse. Cause I know that's, what's going to happen. That that's the disease. I, I, it's not like it's, you know, and I, I try to have faith, but I've been through it before. So that makes me really anxious. And she's, yeah, that thinking about my other grandma, um, is really hard, especially cause I wasn't as close with her as I was with my grandma who just, who passed away. Um, and it's hard because, you know, my grandma, this grandma that's alive, or she got dementia so young. Like, my grandma got dementia, my, my grandma that passed away got dementia when she was older. So it was, like, more okay. But my other grandma's, like, 73. So, and she got, she was diagnosed, like, a couple of years ago. So she was even in her late 60s. Mm-hmm. And then I started getting anxious because I think about my parents and how it, it's, it's, you know, it runs in the family, you know? And I just, I'm like, I don't want to see my parents like that. I don't want to see, and I have so many aunts and uncles who are so old and I'm like, I don't want to see them like that. It's like th- such a terrible disease because it's not like it just, it only, it's not like it's only physically um, hurting you. It's mentally hurting you, but it's not even like, it's not just my grandma not knowing my name. It's like, it ruined her body. It ruined her mind and it ruined her interactions and her emotions because, we don't know what she's thinking. We don't know how she... So, yeah, anxious on all levels, especially for the future, because I know what's coming, and I know, and I, you know, I'm fearful of what might come from this disease. When your grandmother passed away from dementia, how did you cope? What are some things, or what are some thought processes you went through to get yourself out the bed every morning? You know, my grandma lived her life in Jordan, and she came here when she was an adult. She, you know, my my dad came here at 20 and she was like, she was in her probably like mid 60s. Um, and I knew, the, you know, the life my grandma lived was, you know, she, she was a mother of 11 kids. She woke up at 5 a.m. trying to do the best for her family. You know, she had to take care of all those kids and take care of her house. You know, she did everything for everyone. And and then when she got older, you know, her husband passed, her son passed, and her life wasn't the easiest. And she, I think, you know, she got married at 13. She didn't have all of these opportunities that I have not only been given um, because of actual, like, lo- like, laws that are enforced in America that aren't in Jordan. Um, not only that I've been given these opportunities, but I've also, you know, um, worked hard because I was allowed to have even the ability to work hard at opportunities. You know, just me talking to you is something my grandma, you know, would never have had the opportunity. Me talking on this, um, on my laptop in my room, you know, my grandma did not have the opportunities that I am so fortunate and blessed to have. So something that gets me out of bed is just working for what she didn't have and um, using the blessings that I have that she wasn't able to have. And me even having choices. It's like my grandma had to get up at 5 a.m. and not do anything for herself. It's like I can just put the money in my account and use it for whatever I want. My grandma did nothing for herself. She probably ate, she was the last one to eat, you know? Um, and I, you know, I couldn't imagine that. So I think about those and I think about like the life I want for my kids and the life I want to teach my kids that my grandma lived, you know? Um, I think about all those things and how like what I'm doing now is going to affect my future and the future of, you know, my grandma's great grandkids, you know, and I I get excited, too. And I, I always say, like, yeah, it was hard and it was like really sucky, but like I would not change it for the world. Like I would not change the entire process of my grandma because it taught me so much 
And so recognizing that also helped me just like understanding that like this, and I really believe everything happens for a reason. So like just understanding that that, that happened for a reason at that specific time in that way um, for that period of time for a reason. And like knowing that I have a purpose and that that had a purpose in my life, like makes me accepting it because it's like, you know, like, like, this is really silly, but like when I get a paper cut, I get so mad because I'm like, what was the point of this? Like it taught me nothing. You know what I mean? Like I get, I'm like, like, it just hurts for no reason. It's not teaching me anything. But with my grandma, it hurt, but it taught me something. So it's like, although it hurt, obviously 10 times worse than a paper cut, but it's somewhat I can be thankful for it because it's like, I know I got so much from it. So um, that's genuine though. I actually get really mad when I get paper cuts, but you know, I, I think about what happened. I think about the past and I think about like what I'm doing in this specific moment. And I think about um, how can I use whatever I learned or whatever I'm doing now to help me in the future and try to balance it that way too. That is awesome. I'm so happy that you said that is, you know, a great way for you to, to cope. I have two more questions before we wrap it up. One of my questions are, when you do, um, so to say, like, live in the future and plan and, you know, learn lessons and, you know, how you were saying that you get you get angry from a paper cup because, you know, it teaches you nothing. It just hurts for no reason. Yeah. Um, so when, when you have negative thoughts and have the anxiety feeling for um, your grandmother that is, you know, living now, do you also apply that same strategy to your anxiety yeah because um with my grandma who is living now there's just so much I can do um well there's only so much I can do but there is a lot that I can do as well um Mm -hmm. like something I want to be working on soon is um like this poster for my grandma with a bunch of pictures of like her family and everything because I was gonna do a photo album but I figured it'd be harder for um like her nurse aide to help her go through it or anything because, you know, she would have to, like, point at it and stuff and, like, explain who the people are when, you know, the nurse aide doesn't know who everyone is. So I'm going to make, like, a big poster for her so, you know, I can, like, write down who these people are and so that the nurse aide might be able to help her since we can only visit her so much with COVID. It's, like, finding those new ways to um, communicate with her, just whatever way it is, because, you know, going to see her at the nursing home, like, I can only see her for, like, an hour, um because they have strict rules with COVID. So it's, 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 it's future driven in the fact that like, I think about like long-term what it's going to be. And that also creates anxiety for me. But I also think about the time I have now and like the relationships I have now and like um, that I'm, I'm pretty close with my uncles from my, my mom's side who the the grandma's still alive. That's my mom's mom. Um, So, so, and I, you know, I, I, I like when they tell me stories. I like it when, you know, they explain to me how, like, my grandma felt about me and everything. Um, um, so those are kind of those things that I like to do. And I like to maintain those relationships with my my um, uncles. I call them halos. So um, I keep wanting to say that. So in case I do say it, that's for reference. Um, so, so, so yeah, so I, I like having those relationships with them because, it, you know, I see my grandma in them. Like my, my mom looks so much like my grandma and I, people tell me, I look, yeah. So it's like, I just see, I just see my grandma in them and I know my grandma's in them and I know she's in me. So even if she, you know, she's here physically and although she's not here, you know, um, as much mentally, uh, we can still make the most of it, I think. Cause there's no, there's no point. And like something, cause you know, I, I'm in therapy, so 
something that I've just been learning is like, and I knew this before, but you know, it's a constant reminder and you have to always work on like these, these um, mindsets that you try to maintain. Cause it's not just something that you can think about once and then go ahead and move on with the rest of your life. So something I try to maintain is like to do what's in my control. Um, and to t- like, you know, what's, whatever's making me anxious, like start little and do what's in your control. And something that's in my control is taking those initiatives with my grandma and maintaining those relationships. I've learned a lot about myself and I think um, a big coping strategy that I've learned is to um, kind of re restructure your thinking um, mm-hmm. and your self-talk. So um, those are really big things because I know like one day I woke up and I just was just super down about myself. Um, in every regard, and I just started texting myself these things. I said, I think I said something like, oh, you're not special. You'll never be special. I don't know who you think you are, thinking that you are. Um, And I told my therapist that, and she was just, why do you think that you told yourself that? Questioning my, my, my moves and why or why not I do or don't do something. Um, and having that therapy, like that therapy and having someone kind of question it with me, that's really helpful because it doesn't make things seem mindless and um, one-sided. You know, when, when you do something and you have someone question it or you question it on, the very, on a very small scale with a very simple question, you get down to the root of it. Um, so I think that's what's been helping me is just discovering myself better um and understanding why I do things why I don't do things um and breaking down my self-talk and making sure that I'm aware of the things that I'm telling myself for those who may be experienced um something similar to you like maybe those who lost their grandmother lost their grandfather or just anybody that lost anybody period what what would be something you would say to them? What message would you say to them? It's to not be afraid to feel your feelings. You know, like I cried a bunch during my grandma. I, you know, I wrote my grandma's speech and like I was excited for it because I was able to express my relationship with my grandma with with other people and I was ex- able to express how I was feeling about it. So um, don't be afraid to feel it and don't be afraid to kind of understand what you're feeling so you can look back at it and be like, okay, so this is what this is how much I've grown. This is what I've learned from this moment, and this is what it taught me. And although this was really hard, um, I got so much from it. You know, like on a personal level, and like in terms of like character and growth and everything. So yeah, I would say um, just understand how you're feeling and take that time and talk about them and tell stories. And you know, talking about it with people and expressing yourself is gonna really help because you're processing it more rather than kind of just ignoring it and just you know trying to move on because it's going to come back eventually. And honestly, to quote Hannah Montana, life, <laughs> life is what you make it to some extent. I, I do think things happen and it's not all in your control, but you can change your own um, outlook and viewpoint on things. Um, whatever the situation is, whatever, your, whatever cards that you're dealt. Um, and I think you can make your own light of lots of different experiences and interactions and it can be beautiful. So feel feel your feelings and also experience 
I'm Ann DeLisi. I'm Rob Reinhardt. And we're about to bring back the perfect opportunity to honor your favorite pet and support WDET. During our spring fundraiser, Ann and I will combine our shows so you can honor your dog. Or your cat. Or your dog. And WDET with a gift of support. We're looking forward to hearing about your pets, no matter what kind of cat that is. Cats and dogs and any other pet you may have will be part of our fundraiser. And if you can't wait till the weekend, make your gift now at WDET.org slash give. Or call 800-959-9333. What you're experiencing in the moment, um, and I think light will come from that as well. That was our producer, Kaylin Higgins, talking with Savannah Rayan. Now, I want to welcome one of our go-to mental health practitioners, Bonnie Wheeler. Okay, well, thank you so much. Um, Again, I'm Bonnie Wheeler. I'm a licensed professional counselor and... um, licensed master's social worker, and I have worked in grief and loss um, most recently with Michigan State University's Counseling and Psychiatric Services. I've run grief groups for many, many years, and I'm glad to be here. And we're happy to have you. So let's, you know, I'll jump jump right into it and just uh, get some of your initial thoughts on the story that, uh, that you just heard from Savannah about her grandmother. Well, Savannah did such a great job of describing her experience, and um, I was struck initially by uh, what a a lovely relationship she and her grandmother had, and that she gave such good examples of how it is early on in in a loss with someone you're, you're really attached to, and then how the further out it goes, the more... You're, uh, you feel the healing. And she was wonderfully articulate about that and about how there are those moments that, you know, you just get surprised um, by a moment where something will make you cry. And it might be just, uh, as in her case, the way her grandmother pronounced her name, she was thinking about it. And wasn't crying herself to sleep every night, but there were still those moments where she got hit by that wave of grief. And thankful for, with Savannah, she was thankful for the relationship, even though um, her grandmother is gone, she's still learning from it. And that's, that's such a healthy way to approach it. Yeah. So you talked about the stages. And I want to go to the first stage because we're talking about Savannah's grandmother, you know, suffering from dementia, which causes some sort of anticipatory grief. So my question to you would be, for those people out there, those young adults who are just now, again, starting to deal with grief in these different sort of ways, how do you, how do you approach anticipatory grief? What what do I do if I'm experiencing that right now and I'm looking at somebody I love pass away? I, I think um, it's, it's more acknowledging that you're grieving the things that the, the loved one is losing as they're losing them. I think we don't realize often when we have a, uh, a loved one who has a debilitating disease of some kind or just is aging uh, out of their body, we don't realize that we're grieving all the little losses that they used to be able to do uh, 
that they can't do now. Um, an example of that would be one of the reasons I had to delay the uh, call a little bit was I have a 96-year-old uh, relative who's in assisted living, and she called me kind of panicked because she couldn't remember when they were coming to wash her hair. And maybe a month ago, she wouldn't have had that trouble. Um, and she wouldn't have called me panicked. And so there's that almost continual reminder that they're losing little bits of themselves, especially with dementia, um, which fortunately my mother-in-law doesn't have. But um, as she's aging, she's losing little bits of herself. And as you're anticipating the actual death of someone, you're also grieving those little losses every time you see them. How do you make the most out of time with people who are slipping away, who may have dementia, when it hurts you? Well, I think you look for those little things that make you laugh, perhaps make them laugh, the little things that you can still connect on. Um, Music, for instance, might be one that you can still connect. I mean, sing one of the old songs that they knew, um, and often that old memory will come back. Uh, sharing a cookie and and uh, just enjoying that with them, just the little things, um, and even telling them stories, even if they're not really responding, but telling them stories that you, about yourself or about um, what you know about them. Because then, well, first off, with dementia, we don't really know exactly what they still can hold on to. So you're contributing and helping them perhaps feel a little more involved and like you remember that they are there. Yeah, um, I, I love it. Um, again, this, is, this, is, this, this episode is very, very close to me um, because my grandmother suffered from dementia before she uh, passed away. And one thing that I would try to do is I would try to never get frustrated with her. She could tell me the same story a hundred times, and I would act like it yeah. was the first time that I heard the story. And I wanted to know, like, you know, how how can we—and it's not stay out of judgment, but stay out of frustration. How can we recognize that something is happening to this person and not try to correct them when they tell a story, you know, a hundred times, when they call you— uh, the wrong name. Do we accept and play along, or do we correct the person? What you know? What's the healthiest way for them or for us? I think it's it's a little of uh, calming, uh, keeping ourselves calm. So you know, breathing and just appreciating the moment, and can a gentle reminder of no, my name's Bonnie and and not Dorothy. Dorothy was my mother, yeah. um, but it has to be gentle because they're not doing any of that on purpose. And uh, it's, I think each of us has to judge in the moment whether it's important to correct something. I had one of my good friends, actually, her mother um, thought she was back in college when she was in the assisted living, the memory care place. 
And they just went with that. They were like, well, we're going to move you to another room. We found a single for you. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> she was perfectly happy being in her head back in college. And they'd still come in and talk to her and explain who people were and show her pictures. Um, like uh, Savannah was planning for her her living grandmother to make a almost like a storyboard of the family, like a poster. Yeah, that was so and th- Those kinds of things and talking through memories because the old memories are often there way longer than new ones. Yeah, that was really powerful. She said she's going to create that storyboard and then have the nurses, you know, give them the names and have them tell her the names. And that's such a, I mean, it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And it shows how much Savannah actually cares about her grandmother. Absolutely. Savannah started by, and this language is familiar to a lot of us, she started by saying, like, her grandma was her person. And she kept repeating that, like, that was my person. This is somebody I've known my whole entire life. You know, she told all of these beautiful stories about these wonderful memories that she was having. Uh, how how can these young adults navigate losing their person? You know, you have so many people in your life, but you feel like the one you lost was the one. What are tips on how to get through that? Well, well... I'm going to reference Savannah again. Every Most of the time she was talking, I was going, oh, man, that's just right. <laughs> she um, did this wonderful thing where she started also seeing her person in the remaining people, like her uncles, her aunts, her, her mom. Um, and you begin to realize that the person who's passed is still there in the form of their own children and their grandchildren and the people who were around them, um, telling stories uh, among the family or people who were close to this person. I think telling stories keeps them alive, but also reminds you that, oh, yeah, this was my person, and they left me with stories. And something else that Savannah's grandmother left her with that seemed to be, you know, unexpected, and I'm sure her grandma didn't, you know, she wasn't meaning to leave her with it, but it was gratitude. That was a large, you, you heard that, you heard that part it was a large part of her yeah. story. And I, I love that. It was, you know, when Caitlin asked her about her thought process and she's just saying to herself, you know, I, I just think about if, all the things basically my grandmother went through, all the things she wouldn't be able to afford to do, or a life she was never afforded that I have that comes so easily right now. So I like going back to just Savannah's mindset and, and the way she just adopted a completely new and strong mindset. And I only say new, I just a, a strong mindset. Um, how do we develop that? How do we change our minds? How do we say... Instead of focusing about this or thinking about this, I am going to train myself to think about all of these good and positive things around me. I think the first step in that is catching ourselves when we're not thinking that when we're doing the negative self-talk. And the first step to change that is catching yourself and say, wait a minute. 
I would never talk to my friends this way. Why am I beating myself up? You know, so I, using some of the things that we've talked about before in this, being grateful every day, that does help change your attitude and change the self-talk. Yeah, and I mean, the reoccurring theme is just gratitude, being grateful. You know, somebody, somebody is, is there for me. Um, something else that Savannah talked about was uh, the traditions in her culture. And she said that, and, and this is something that I've always been really connected to, was first holidays without a person after you've lost a person. And she said, you know, it, it, they couldn't do it in the way they would do it, you know, pre-COVID. But the first holiday after you lose somebody in the Arabic culture, you don't really celebrate the holiday. You know, what's the importance of taking those breaks, of honoring those traditions or taking breaks to honor the people who you've lost? Well, it's it's certainly really important to both honor the people and the culture, or whatever the culture is. If the culture is we all get together um, to have a feast in this person's honor in a year, then you do it the best you can, whether that's a Zoom. Um, this last spring I went to a Zoom memorial that was just Fabulous. There were like 150 people on the call. And the stories that people told were amazing. Mm. That was done because of uh, the culture, a Jewish family. They couldn't sit, they couldn't do the tradition where the neighbors came by because there was a pandemic. So I think figuring a creative way to do that is real important. It honors the deceased, and it also honors the family culture and reinforces that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, take you know, talking to, you know, taking a break, how, and I, I, I like to ask this all the time, so these young adults, you know, who are, again, just now experiencing this, understand that it's okay to not be okay and to say, I need to withdraw from any and everything uh, to deal with my own mental health. Oh, yeah, especially early on. I mean, if you think about Savannah, she was crying herself to sleep every night. One of the things that happens typically with all of us when we have uh, any loss, but a sudden loss of someone who is is our person, Um and in some ways, any loss, even with dementia, it feels sudden. Uh, you anticipate it, but it also, that final piece is rather sudden. Um, it's hard to think about day-to-day life when your whole mind is going, ouch, this hurts. And you're waking up in the morning having maybe dreamed about your loved one and you have to come to the reality again that that was just a dream and they're not here. So that first, it can be two, three months. It's very hard to focus on other things. So taking a break, um, being really gentle with yourself about that is extremely important of, you know, you may, if you're, you're studying... Some people, the studying relieves the grief in that they can really focus on it. 
other people can't focus at all, and they need to, you know, go and take a bereavement leave from school uh, because they can't think straight. Um, I think you have to pay attention to what your needs are, but if you're not being able to think of anything or focus on anything, be gentle with yourself about that and take a break. Um, and some of the break could be doing the family traditions to really honor that person. Um, some of the break could be just being with family. Yeah, but take the break that you need. Well, Pardon? I know I was saying take the break that you need if you need it. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean... I, I don't, I think that you've given us, you know, everything in this interview. And I think between you and be, between Savannah, everybody will walk away with some really amazing and great coping skills. As always, before we get out of here, I always like to ask, is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I do think, I mean, Savannah, this was a great interview with Savannah. And she, she mentioned a couple things. One was, uh, the reality of what is in each of our control. And I think that mindset of gratefulness, but also giving up those, I mean, those things that aren't within our control and what's, it's not in our control, how other people grieve. It's not in our control as to whether life ends. Um, and accepting, yeah, what's in control is how I cope with this and how I move forward and how I learn from this and how I carry the spirit and the love of my person forward in my life with me. This episode was produced by me, Natasha T. Miller, Charmaine Sultana, Kaylin Higgins, our executive producer, David Lyons, and our editor, David Weinberg. Theme music by Jordan Davis, with sound design and additional music by Sam Bobian. With additional production support from Patrick Vaughn, Aaron Appleby, Maida Stangy, Antoine Scott, and Holly Ann Stewart, who creates our artwork for each episode. If you haven't, check it out at WDET.org. The Science of Brief podcast is a collaboration between Science Gallery Detroit and WDET, Detroit's NPR station, and is supported by the Children's Foundation of Michigan, MSU, FCU, and Science Sandbox.